You're listening to Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. I'm your host, Dolores Alfieri Taranto. In this show, we explore Bella Figura, the art of beautifying all facets of your life, with a focus on heritage as a means to do so. In each episode, I talk to designers, writers, fashion bloggers, healers, and others from various ethnic backgrounds about what I call the holy, the elemental, and the majesty, their culture's spiritual style, its principal values, and their lineage and family stories, all in a straight talk manner with minimal woo-woo. Join me in spiritual conversations for the rest of us. Your heritage is your superpower. Learn how to wield it. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm uh, feeling pretty good today. I think the baby is sleeping for longer stretches in the middle of the night. And I'll tell you, not having to get up (laughs) constantly really makes a difference in a gal's demeanor. So uh, if you catch a little more energy in this intro, that's probably why. We have a great show for you today, as always, and I wanted to start by reminding you that this is still in that batch of episodes recorded before the coronavirus outbreak. I'm recording the intro later. We are during quarantine right now, and the numbers are still painfully grim, but it appears as if we may be turning a corner, so that's a little bit of a silver lining, we certainly hope. You'll definitely find the content in this episode pertinent and extremely helpful to get you through not only this unprecedented period, but all periods of your life. I'm going to file this episode under the majesty and the holy. So the majesty refers to our lineage and our family stories and the holy to the spiritual style of our culture. Mallory Vaudois, who is my guest today, her work really flips back and forth between these two, or perhaps better yet, merges the two. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Mallory Vaudois is a New York City-based spiritualist of Italian descent. With Vanessa Irena, she hosts Good Bones, a podcast about living and dying well. She's the author of Honoring Your Ancestors, A Guide to Ancestral Veneration, and Italian Folk Magic, a blog about devotional practices from Southern Italy and Sicily, both of which are terrific. Drawn to witchcraft and folk magic from a young age, her path has required both careful study and wild abandon. Her writing is an act of devotion, an offering to the spiritual ecosystem in which she finds herself. She believes that music, food, wine, and kissing are vital tools of spiritual evolution. So I first interviewed Mallory on the on my first podcast, the Italian American podcast, and soon learned that people loved what she had to say. Her subject matter, you know, the mystical, the traditional and spiritual just fed a hunger so many people feel. And I'm positive she'll do the same for listeners of this new show. She really immerses herself in her work and is extremely knowledgeable and I think you'll definitely find that that shows. So let's jump in here to our conversation. Mallory, welcome to Bella Figura. Thank you for having me, Dolores. 
I'm so excited to speak to you again. We've had many conversations on the Italian American podcast. So it's really great to kind of get a chance to speak with you now that your your book is out and you just started a new podcast. So really great things happening for you. And I know that this topic is going to be of uh, big interest to the listeners of Bella Figura as well. Oh, thank you so much. And and likewise, I know you you and I are kind of the same way. And we were joking about this before we started recording about how, you know, we're both really just always constantly creating. Yes. Uh, right. So I love being able to connect with uh, with somebody else who's like that, who just has that that drive and that impulse to create. Well, thank you. And you laughed because I'm on maternity leave and starting a new podcast <laughs> as I take care of my new baby. You were like, uh, that was really funny to you, but you understand it. <laughs> Oh, totally, totally. Because you have the sickness too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I have a full-time job working mm-hmm. in the tech industry and I come home and I work on my writing and my business and then I go back to work the next day and then That's I have nuts. training to go to the day after that. So um, yeah, it just doesn't stop for us. Nope. So we're going to talk about Honoring your, so your new book, as I mentioned in the introduction, is titled Honoring Your Ancestors, A Guide to Ancestral Veneration. So I want to dive into that topic and we'll just let it take us where, where it does. If we can just start out for us by just explaining like what is ancestor veneration? Sure thing. So I guess the first place to start actually might be talking a little bit about how how I ended up writing a book on ancestor veneration, and maybe that'll explain a little bit more about what it is too. So a couple years ago, back in in 2015, I started a blog called Italian Folk Magic, which was how we met. Right. So very grateful for that. I was like, what is this? Like anything (laughs) called Italian Folk Magic, I'm like, I need to see what this is. (laughs) Yeah. And and that blog really just started as uh, I was doing a lot of research. I was meeting people. I was uh, going on pilgrimages, taking pictures. And I really wanted to just have a way to organize all of the material that I myself was was sorting through as an Italian American woman. But what ended up happening was when people would reach out to me through the blog, more often than not, it wasn't because they wanted to learn how to do Italian folk magic or, or you know, learn more about the drumming or the Madonnas or the saints or, or any of those things that were topics that were really, really important to me and still are. They wanted to know more about how to connect to their ancestors because they could see it in the work that I was doing. They could see the way in which you know, that spiritual journey had brought me closer to my ancestors. And also likewise, how a lot of the a lot of the learning that I did during that period and still do was happening very much through weird coincidences and synchronicities, which would lead me to different teachers and different opportunities to study, you know, my ancestral language, my ancestral drumming traditions, my ancestral folk music. And so I think what I realized was that I could take it kind of a step further or rather maybe bring it up to a a little bit of a higher altitude and to speak not just about the exact things that I myself was learning, but also about that spiritual process of reconnecting with your ancestors, which is something that anyone can do regardless of whether they're, you know, Italian American or not, regardless of what their heritage is or where they're from. And so I set about to write a book that would help people to 
apply a little bit of discernment in their own journey. So it's very much a book that is about reflection. And I give a lot of open questions and a lot of ideas for consideration. It's, it's not the type of thing that's the, you know, a guide where you have to do X, Y, and Z exactly the way that I tell you to in order to honor your ancestors. No, no, not, not that at all. Ancestor veneration is much more intimate and individual than that. So the book is really about giving the reader the tools so that they can build their own practice, which is going to be unique to them and to who their ancestors are. Hmm. Now, did you, have you found since you, the book came out and you're reaching a wider audience that people of other cultures are, are using what, you know, what you're teaching, the tools that you're teaching? Oh yeah, I, I, everyone. I'm on Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram. Uh, my handle's at honoring your ancestors. If anyone is uh, is curious and wants yep. to connect with me there, and you know, when I look at the people who are engaging with the content and you know asking questions, sharing it with their friends, you know, they come from a very wide variety of backgrounds, and so that's really really cool for me to see as well. That like this this can work for anyone, and the book has really done its job in that way. That's great. I mean, I, I really understand that kind of wanting to expand. It's exactly why I'm starting this podcast. You and I are very proud Italian Americans and we're, we're both deeply rooted in our culture and our heritage and its practices. But I too just kind of learned from doing the uh, Italian American podcast and also from like my job, just, just conversations that this is, this is the kind of conversations that it, and people in any culture and any her- heritage can benefit from that we, we all kind of have this desire to know who and where we come from. Exactly. I, I, think it may be universal. I always hesitate to use the word universal because, you know, the second it comes out of my mouth, I know there's going to be some, some example that crops up that proves me wrong, but you know, I, I, it just seems so common throughout the world. And there's, I think that it's something about what it means to be, to be human, to be curious about where you've come from and who your ancestors were, what they were up to. And I think there's, you know, to a certain extent we have this intuition as human beings that we are not entirely original ourselves, that, you know, we're a remix in some way, and that the stories that we're living out today are in many ways drawing from or retelling, repatterning, and in some cases maybe correcting or healing the stories of our ancestors. Absolutely. And, you know, you use the term ancestor veneration, which which may sound to some people like a worship. Is that really what it is? Or is it something more along the lines of like connecting? Yeah, I mean, I think for some people, it might look worshipful. For me, it's not though. For me, it's really about the fact that this relationship exists, regardless of what you believe about, you know, whether there's an afterlife or not, and whether ghosts exist or not, you're still in relationship at the very least with the stories that you've inherited from your ancestors and with your living family as well. So the relationship is real. And 
often it's playing out in our lives in unconscious ways, in ways that we're not aware of, but we're just haunted by this pattern that keeps coming up for us again and again and again. And so for me, the process of ancestor veneration is really about taking the unconscious relationship and shining a light on it so you can see it clearly and you can make conscious decisions about how you're going to engage or not engage. And when you want to maybe dial up the volume or lean into the relationship or when you want to set a new precedent and write a new story for your family line. I also like to tell people that, you know, there's there's really two types of ancestors to be very, very simplistic about it. There's the ancestors that we pray to because we think that, you know, they're spiritually well and in a in a capacity where they're able to help us in our own spiritual evolution. And then there's the ancestors that we pray for. The ancestors who we look at and we recognize that we're probably actually more spiritually well than they were or are, and that we're actually in a better, a better situation to be able to share with them a little bit of our own light and a little bit of our own peace to help them find healing and to help them sort of unpack. Maybe we can unpack together the trauma that they might've experienced in their lives or the ways in which maybe they just, you know, really, really screwed up or, or what have you. So are you talking in that case about more like the recently deceased or just, and it doesn't have to be recently deceased. It could be anybody as long as you know the story. Yeah, I think it could be anybody. And, and sometimes you might not, you might not have inherited the story. Like maybe nobody told you about it, but maybe there's some kind of pattern going on in your own life that has been going on since you were a child and you don't know exactly where it came from. You just know that it's always been there. And, and you feel haunted by it. And that's, you know, to me kind of, um, it tips off the fact that this is probably some kind of ancestral, ancestral issue. So I had a great conversation, um, in an earlier episode with a woman named Marine Saline, and she is, a, she's a French native, but she practices in New York City. She's a therapist and she focuses on family constellations. I don't know if you've heard of this type of therapy. I've heard of it. I, I've never participated in it myself though. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. It's she's kind of doing exactly what you're talking about, just in a different modality. She's using like a, a kind of like a clinical therapy office, like client therapist relationship. But she very the work that she does is is really all about people getting rid of the blocks in their lives and even healing like depression, anxiety, these kind of things that plague us through an understanding and a forgiveness and a kind of rewriting the wound, like ancestral wounds. It's really, it's really very interesting. And I, the, you know, this is kind of like why I wanted to do this show, right? Because you have these conversations with different people over and over again, and it really illuminates what starts to become very much like a truth. It's like everyone's talking about the same thing differently. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I I knew that it existed, and I'm I'm kind of vaguely familiar with it, but I've never I've never experienced it myself. And that that's really beautiful, though, that she's able to do that in a clinical setting too. I certainly have found in my own personal practice that there is this kind of blurry line between our early childhood memories and the Im impact that our early childhood had on us and our ancestral patterns. Because when you think about it, we as, as children are really strongly 
influenced and impressed upon by our parents who, of course, went through that same process when they were children with our grandparents. And so this is kind of, you know, we know from psychological research, clinical research, how formative those years from, you know, your, your first year of life to maybe like four years old are in terms of setting the standard for how you interact with other people, how you are able to form relationships, how you're able to handle your own emotionality and soothe yourself. But really, when we're going through that, you know, it's not something that is unique to us. It's a reflection of the way that our parents were raised, which is a reflection of the way that our grandparents were raised, which is also a reflection of the way that our great grandparents were raised. So clearly, there's something there. And I take it into a very ritual and spiritual uh, setting because that's where my training is, having been involved in in different spiritual traditions, both from my own ancestral homeland as well as from Africa and uh, Afro-Caribbean culture. But that's a reflection of, of who I am in the life that I've lived. And somebody who has more of a background in clinical psychology can still be dealing with the same themes, but applying a different tool set and a slightly different lens to it. Exactly. And I, I love that there's kind of an option for everyone. You know, I mean, maybe not for everyone, but as this as this podcast goes on, I bet and I speak to different people, I bet different modalities will arise. And I don't consider myself a witch or, you know, as an Italian uh, culture would say, una strega. And I don't really even consider myself very new agey. I kind of wanted this show to be like, metaphysical conversations for the rest of us. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. Thank you. Yeah. So I I kind of want people to still feel like there's a place for them in these conversations, right? That it's it doesn't always have to be so woo-woo. It could just be like it could just be kind of like conversation and tools you can use. So just just dovetailing into that, I mean, is there a place for someone like me in this conversation about, you know, ancestral veneration? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, often often like the woo-woo stuff is you know, sometimes it's just people trying to signal something. It's it's like fashion these days, too. Mm. And I know like these days, like witchcraft and tarot are supposedly very popular. They're constantly getting written up in like the New York Times as as big trends. But some of that is genuine spiritual expression. Some of it is just fashion. Yeah. And I'll be honest, it's stuff that looks cool. Tarot cards look cool. They, they do. Make <laughs> great Instagram posts mm-hmm. and everything. That doesn't necessarily mean that everybody who is buying those decks and taking pictures of themselves with them is getting a lot out of the practice of reading them. On the flip side, you can have people who are very, very analytical or atheistic, but devoted to a creative pursuit and art or music of some sort, or even just very practical and focused on raising your family and cooking meals and and cleaning and, and celebrating together. And there's still space for you to create a practice that works for you. And that's one of the things that I think people are often very surprised about when they read my book is how much time I spend talking about cooking and cleaning and the house as this kind of ancestral altar in a way. Our home, even if you don't have 
a dedicated altar space where you have images of your ancestors or of uh, holy powers. The home itself is a spiritual ecosystem and being able to maintain it and make sure that it feels comfortable for you and, you know, your, your own body and your own spirit and the bodies and spirits of your loved ones as well is extraordinarily, is extraordinarily important. I would say probably a lot more important than any other type of spiritual practice that you might go out and adopt in addition to it. Hmm. Because correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm going to head in this direction, but in your, your book, you talk a lot about kind of uh, physical and mental fitness, physical and mental fitness, like being, being well in your body is, and I'm, I'm thinking this is kind of a, an extension of that, meaning it's not very productive if you go out into the world and you're reading tarot cards and carrying around your, your stones, but your home is a total mess and your body is a total mess. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, you know, we have to build the foundation first and then we can build other structures on top of it. And for me, the body and the home, that is the the bedrock that we have to build on top of. And I think with the, with regard to the body, it's really important because that's the first gift that our ancestors gave us. You know, they made our body with their bodies and our body is a reflection of what their bodies were like. To return to, to a theme from earlier, we are a remix of their genetics, a remix of what their hair and their eyes and their skin and, you know, how tall they were, what all of those things were like. And so, you know, if we want to have a good relationship with them, we have to respect the gift that they gave us the same way that we would respect any other gift that we might be given over the course of this lifetime. And so by, you know, caring for it, and, and I'm not very prescriptive about how you have to eat uh, an all paleo uh, right. diet <laughs> and um, do CrossFit or whatever in order to have a good relationship right. with your ancestors. You know, you can find the nutrition and the movement that works for you through trial and error. And there are definitely people who are much more qualified to help guide you through through that process than I am. But by taking the time and the effort to go on that journey and figure out how your body wants to be treated, you will learn a lot about how to maybe how your ancestors' bodies wanted to be treated and thus a little bit more about about them and what what they were like and what they were experiencing. I love that. I, you know, the title of this show, of course, is Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. And Bella Figura is the uh, this Italian idea of presenting yourself well. And as I talk about in, you know, on my on my website, Instagram, whatever on the show, it's it's more than just impressing other people. It's it's way deeper than that. It's a lot of what you're exactly what you're talking about, which is this idea that you should have respect for what you've been given. Yeah. And, and I would actually point out that that is a perfect example of what I would call ancestor veneration in mm. practice, where you've taken this concept, which exists in your, your cultural background, mm. and which I believe you talk about in your blog post about this podcast, the way in which that manifested in your own family. Right. And now as an adult, you have made that concept your own. Mm. 
and used it to, it's a lens through which you're able to parse other material and make sense of the world. It's a way in which you're networking with other people and learning about other types of of, uh, related practices and really gives you the opportunity to kind of sort through all of this raw data, I guess, and then to craft a message of your own to ultimately, you know, obviously to share with everybody who's listening right now, but ultimately to share with the descendants. This is not about just a podcast that's going to be listened to once and then everybody forgets about it. It's about how we are all responsible for shaping culture and consequently the world that we leave behind for our children and our children's children. Whoa, you just you just nailed it, Mallory. That was beautiful. Yes, exactly. I you know, and it's interesting because I don't know that I thought about it as a form of ancestral veneration. Honestly, but but it's exactly that. It's exactly kind of what like circling back to what I said earlier, you know, is there a place for someone like me? And what I kind of unconsciously did was this this is my way. Exactly. And I'm sure for anybody who's listening right now, there's probably ways in which you are doing this as well. And the trick is not to add something new, something extra into the equation that wasn't there before. It's to observe what you're already doing and realize when you're acting out ancestral impulses and when that can be a good thing or when it can be a not so good thing Mm. and to help to your responsibility as the living person, the flowering head of your line, if you will, is to, to help refine that energy and perfect it and to make conscious and intentional decisions about what you are going to share with the rest of the world and uh, consequently, you know, to propagate into the future generations. I don't want to put you on the spot. I feel like I feel like I say that a lot because I come up with these questions that, you know, I haven't like prepped anybody for. But do you have an example of what would be an ancestral impulse? Just say you're going through your day and X happens. Yeah. So uh, let me think of a good example from my own line. I think recently, one of the things that I've been working with is I have an ancestral pattern around, let's say, offers that get withdrawn when Mm. they really shouldn't be. So like a job offer is made and before I have the chance to sign it and the ink is dry, the company goes, actually, you know what? we're going to, you know, we're, we've decided to renege and we don't want you to work for us anymore or things of that nature where it's like something is put out on the table before me and then it disappears. And so that's not the ancestral impulse. That's the, the pattern. And I think that part of it is due to the fact that I may have had some ancestors some somewhere along the line who celebrated prematurely. You know, they, they broke out the bottle of Prosecco and toasted something when the ink was not dry. And then the grief of losing it afterwards was really intense for them. And so over, over the course of my life, I have developed, and this is the, the impulse part, I've developed superstitions around those types of situations, which, you know, sometimes cause me to act 
a little bit irrationally and which are not always very helpful. So, you know, maybe for example, I get invited to participate in some kind of event like a panel, but I get really anxious about it because I think to myself like, oh, you know, they're going to disinvite me and I'm not going to be able to go to the panel. And so I don't prep as much as I should. And so that's like one form of impulse, which is about just kind of like denying good things that have happened to me. And this is something that I'm working through right now. So I don't have an easy answer. Terrific example, by the way. (laughs) That was like very well done. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And maybe, you know, maybe somebody can relate to that as well. Or maybe it'll help, you know, spark a little bit of reflection on like, oh, wow, I do have this weird thing that always seems to happen to me and never, never seems to happen to other people. And I don't know why it keeps happening. Like that's the type of thing we're, we're looking for is these weird patterns. And then, you know, examining the impulses that arise around them. And I don't have like a silver bullet solution yet. I'm still working through it. But I've definitely tried to one, when this does happen, it happens to me in a big way every couple of years, to view that moment as like, okay, I just survived my worst fear Mm. and whatever this ancestor, whoever they were, their worst fear. Like, Mm. look at how powerful that is. I survived it. So I, you know, I make sure to grieve fully and go do the therapy, do the crying into my pillow or, or, you know, punching the pillow or whatever it is I need to do in order to, to really feel that. But then to also, once it's passed, in my personal prayer life to kind of recognize like, and look, that terrible, awful thing that we were so, so scared of, it came and it went and ultimately it didn't really matter. And that's kind of a way to, to work on healing it, I think is what, right. Is what you're getting at. Exactly. Exactly. Because each time it happens, you know, it's, it's a little bit less scary after that. Right. At least that's the way that, that I've been thinking about it most recently. Now, how do you identify that as an ancestral pattern? Like what tells you that that's, that that's what that is? (laughs) To me, it all comes down to whether you feel, and this is a very subjective thing because when we're talking about you know, the ancestors were talking about a subjective experience, the way that we feel in our bodies and our souls, the things that show up time and time again for us in our dreams. And so there's no objective way to verify this information as well when you think about it, because you can't, you know, we, we can Google so many things. We still can't Google, was there somebody in my ancestral line who at <laughs> one point had thought that they really had it made and then they celebrated before it was final and then they lost out on the opportunity. Like, well, that's still going to be a mystery for us until the technology is there to be able to time travel. There's still not really a way of objectively validating this. So what I look for in the subjective experience is whether I feel haunted by this recurring pattern. And that's the key for me and and people who are really into like, this is, this is less my, my bag, but you know, if you know people who are really into like ghosts and ghost hunting and, and that sort of thing, you know, usually they talk about ghosts and haunted locations in terms of a pattern or a scene from that person's life getting repeated over and over again. So if there's something that 
you see over and over again, and it's highly unlikely it doesn't happen. It's not a part of like the normal patterns of love and loss that everybody goes through, but it seems to be weirdly specific and you can't escape it. That to me is usually a tip off that at the very least something magical, something spiritual is happening. And often if it's been happening since birth, it's ancestral. Hmm. Okay. So just like a long, a long, almost lifetime pattern that you find yourself in. Exactly. And maybe things that like your parents also demonstrated fear of or weird attitudes towards or a thing that you know happened over and over again in the, the lifetime of another relative, an aunt, an uncle, a grand, grandparent. That's also like another kind of strong signal that it's an ancestral thing. It might not be something that everybody in your family deals with, but if there are other people in your family who deal with it, there's a good chance that it's ancestral and not not some other kind of just bad luck. Okay, that makes sense. And, you know, just, again, quickly referring to the episode with Maureen, I, I asked her straight out, you know, kind of what are when you work with clients, you know, what are the odds that their problems, whatever problem they come with, come to you with is is not a family ancestral problem? And she kind of paused and said, very, very small. Like it, she finds that it's, it's always somehow related to ancestral trauma or childhood trauma, you know, family stories. It's oh, like you're, these things that you are afflicted with that you think are just yours really are part of a long line. Right, right. And even, you know, even most, I think most therapists would say at the very least, that these issues originate in early childhood experiences, our issues in our romantic lives, our issues in our work lives are often a reflection of early childhood experience. I just take it a step further and think about early childhood within the context of the bigger picture. And the fact that, you know, really, when you think about it, as we're going through our lives on the day to day, there's very little that we experience that is not in some way from an ancestor, like the, you know, the language that we speak is ancestral, maybe not, you know, our, obviously, you and me are our ancestors spoke Napolitan, they didn't speak English, but somebody's ancestors spoke English, and we're speaking it now for a reason. The technology that we're using to interact right now, it didn't just appear out of nowhere during our lifetimes, it was gradually kind of evolving over hundreds of years. So all of these things, technology, law, medicine, language, art, music, literature, theater, uh, food, really everything that, that we experience in our lifetimes has come to us through the ancestors in some way. I think maybe the only thing that isn't from them in, and this is getting a little bit more on the woo side is like astrological influence. <laughs> but otherwise, you know, other than literal meteors <laughs> crashing down to earth, you know, it's coming to us through our heritage. And I think that that's a pretty profound mystery, but one which is one which is worth spending an afternoon sitting with at some point, right at the very least. Yeah. You know, it, it's amazing to me, of course, having been so immersed in my culture all my life and attracted to it, that there are so many people who, you know, you say to them, where are you from? Or, you know, or the like, quote, what nationality are you? And there's so many people who don't know. And when you're talking about 
heritage in the context of how you and I are talking about it. It's, it's kind of like frightening to me because if it has this much of an impact on you, right? It's just, you're, you're so detached from this kind of ability to really get to the bottom of what's, what's ailing you. And also I would say of what can give you strength. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it, I think it's easy. I've noticed, especially with people, you know, reaching out to me because of the book, often through Instagram or or Facebook, they find my public pages and they reach out. And I've noticed that people who do not grow up with the benefit of information about who, about their family history and about their cultural background often feel as though there's some kind of validation that they're lacking. And I always like to remind people who reach out to me because they, they feel this way that like, hey, you have ancestors too. And it's not an accident what you know or don't know about them. That is a reflection of something about how this particular line has evolved. So whatever it is that you know today, whether that's a lot or not a lot, is what you need to know right now. Mm. And the rest will be revealed when you need to know more. So, you know, in, in my case, you know, my, my family did not grow up preserving a lot of the, the traditions from Southern Italy. And then when I moved to New York, all of the sudden, I had all of these opportunities that I never would have dreamed of to learn about the music, about the dance, about the language, and also actual family history, like documents suddenly found their way to me. Mm. You know, my grandparents, if my grandparents, they didn't even know that I was interested in this stuff. But, you know, if they found a a file full of for example, my um, my great grandparents, they had their immigration paperwork, and my grandparents found that file and were like, "Well, who are what are we going to do with this? I guess we'll just give it give it to Mallory." <laughs> <laughs> she'll she'll freak out because it's like a it's like a gold mine for you. <laughs> well, the, and they but the, here's the thing is they had no way of knowing that they just found it and thought to themselves, like, I guess we'll just give it to her. This was before maybe they would have understood you you being so, you being so attracted to this work. My apologies. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So I, I bring that up and a lot of people have these types of experiences where when you start to give your line a little bit more attention and you do what you can with the information that you have today, new information just kind of starts to find its way to you. And that that's kind of like a natural part of the process. I always think of it as like, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever lived near the, the ocean shore, you might notice that like when the tide comes in, it just sort of dumps a bunch of stuff from the bottom of the ocean up onto the beach. And then when it comes in again, it reclaims that stuff, but leaves new stuff. And that's how I think of like ancestral consciousness is it's this vast ocean with almost seemingly infinite mysteries that it can share with us. And, you know, one day it might share this thing. One day it might take this thing away. It's this push and pull that's constantly happening and that's natural and that's, that's okay. I love that description. And I, it's similar to kind of, I tell people, you know, it's so important to know your family stories for, for many reasons. And I always say, you know, most people are not just going to randomly and spontaneously open up and start telling you about some of the, you know, worst things that ever happened to them, right? Or mm-hmm. happened to their 
parents or their grandparents. But if you sit down and you kind of just open that door a little bit and you start asking, you know, maybe you don't go for the jugular and, you know, say, tell me the worst thing that's ever happened to you. But you just start with little things, you know, like, like, where was, where were my grandparents married? That more will keep coming to you. And, you know, you maybe you have that first conversation with that, that elder, and it's very light and easy. And then you leave and they're going through their drawers one one day, and they find paperwork, like you just said. And then they think, oh, you know, so and so might be interested in this. We were just talking about this the other day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think starting with, you know, just showing a little bit of interest because this is, you know, it's sacred knowledge like any other sacred knowledge. And so you don't necessarily want to show up and, and demand like go, going for the jugular, as you say. <laughs> but if you just start by showing a little bit of interest and do that regularly with your elders, you'd be surprised what they what they'll be willing to share over exactly. time. Yeah. So just switching slightly you know, speaking of mystical conversations for the rest of us, one thing that I find is uh, very is very well practiced and uh, believed in by many people I know who I would definitely not describe at all as woo-woo or anything like that is this idea that the people they've lost, the recently deceased, are people that are spirits that they can pray to and call on. I, I, every Almost everyone I know Cross generations feels that way, and you know, for instance, I would say that in my family, I'm I'm probably the most kind of mystical-ish. But even my oldest brother will talk about how you know something stressful or a big deal at work or something like that was on his plate, and he you know prayed to my father, who's been passed away for eleven years. And that's just a very common conversation. So I was hoping you could just talk a little bit more about that, which is kind of what I would describe as our our dead becoming like our patron saints. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and that's a beautiful example that you give. I think it's pretty common cross-culturally to do stuff like that, to reach out to our deceased loved ones. Usually after they've had the opportunity over the years to make the transition into the afterlife, that first year period, maybe a little bit longer can be, it's an example of an instance where you probably want to be praying for them and on their behalf rather than praying to them. But then, you know, after that transition happens, you may find them coming to you actually (laughs) in your dreams or Mm. in, uh, you know, random synchronicities and signs and, and, uh, and coincidences. But then after that, you know, being able to incorporate them into your personal prayer life to reach out when you think, that you need help or you want guidance or whatever it is, for whatever reason you feel moved to connect with them in some ways, um, it's really beautiful. And it's a way to, to make sure that they live on, not just in, in your memory locked away, but also being active in your life and kind of woven into the fabric of, of the living community still. Beautifully said. You know, I have I have a four month old son. I'm a new mother, and in his nursery, I have my father's prayer card and my aunt's prayer card. My aunt passed away. I've I've spoken to you. You gave me advice. I remember when my aunt passed away. I had a very disturbing dream. I don't know if you remember this. And I asked you for advice because I felt like she was asking me 
to pray for her. Do you remember this? I do. Yeah. Yes. And you were very helpful. And I think for some people that, you know, they might walk in and be like, this, what, this, what is this? <laughs> you have like prayer cards of dead people in here. But it's important to me that not only I feel what I, what I feel, I see what I feel, which is that they are watching over my son, but also that he comes to become very comfortable with the presence of people who are no longer here in his life. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a beautiful gift to be able to share, to, to just give him the, um, because so often our, our experience of the world is limited by the, the words that we have to describe it or the images that we we're familiar with. And so when you give a small child like a, a box that they know is, okay, this is grandpa. This is, you know, my, my great, great aunt. So when you give them that kind of container, they're able to put their experiences into that container. And for a small child to be able to have this kind of container for the phenomena that they're experiencing is really, really powerful. Because for the rest of us, you know, we have to learn what our ancestors mean by reading about it in books and then trying to parse through what we're experiencing now and what we remember experiencing throughout our lives. But for somebody who grows up with that, even if they don't grow up with, you know, a lot of really detailed beliefs about what the afterlife is supposed to be like and how to do rituals or how to read tarot cards or, or whatever, um, you know, whatever lovely lovely types of spiritual beliefs and, and practices and technologies um, they might learn along the way. Just to have the container for the experiences makes it a lot easier to parse through them as they're happening. Mm. And thus to, to kind of be writing the story, I guess, as it happens and understanding what's, what's going on just a little bit better rather than having to go back and redefine what you, uh, what you're aware of. I like that. Curious to hear what you think of this. I, I often tell people that I I tend to call on those who've passed for specific things based on their strengths. I mean, this this is predicated on the fact that you knew the deceased you're calling on, right? So, for instance, my father was an entrepreneur. My father was very strong-headed and just always worked for himself. He just did, was not the kind of guy who liked to be under a boss. And he was very successful starting several businesses on his own. And so when I'm having to do with anything regarding work or, you know, my own business or my show or even like my husband's going in for an interview, I always call my father to to intercede because I feel like that was a strength of his. I'm just wondering what you think about that. I just made oh, it up, beautiful. but <laughs> no, no, that seems exactly, to work for me. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, that's exactly, you know, a, a lot of people have that same experience or like if you're I, I've met people who when they feel, let's say, physically threatened, uh, maybe they're living in a bad neighborhood or maybe they have an issue with a, a guy who is giving them problems might call on an ancestor who was in the armed forces for example, yeah. for protection. Yeah. Or if I've met people who, when facing a health problem, would call on an ancestor who was a doctor, 
and, you know, to pray, pray to them in the same way that you would kind of pray to, to certain saints to, uh, you know, maybe help them to get a good diagnosis, to make sure that they find the right doctors and that they take on the right treatment and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, what you're, what you are doing naturally, according to your own intuition is something that a lot of people do either, you know, again, according to their own intuition, or in some cases, they're actually taught to do that by different, different spiritual traditions that specialize in the relationships between the living and the dead. I'm thinking particularly of, uh, spiritism, uh, which, you know, is, is common, had a huge heyday in the United States, but now is more common in Europe and in the Caribbean and Latin America. So you talk in your book about messages from ancestors coming in bodily form, meaning, you know, you can feel it in your body. And I was wondering if you could give us just a few examples of how we can listen for those messages or feel for those messages, however you would describe it. Yeah. So I like to recommend just starting with a simple body scan. And what I mean by that is taking a moment to, you know, maybe you might want to make sure that both of your feet are uh, firmly on the ground, even if you're sitting in a chair, and none of your limbs are crossed, you're not crossing your legs, you're not crossing your arms. Um, So to just have this nice, natural, neutral posture, and to take a couple deep breaths, maybe three deep breaths in and out, and then to go ahead and just do a quick scan coming from your feet up, through your body and to pay attention to any kind of sensation that you might be experiencing right now. And maybe something will jump out to you immediately and you'll want to explore that a little bit, just kind of keep your attention there. But maybe you're mostly just at your normal baseline of how you feel day in, day out, depending on, um, you know, your own, your own health and vitality and level of, of sensitivity. And then after that, what you might want to try is if you are at baseline right now, you can ask a question. And, you know, if you want to open with a little bit of prayer or if you do have a little bit of an altar set up somewhere in your home, you might want to do this in front of that. But you can ask a question and then just kind of see what comes up and what you, you know, what you feel in your body and how it how it changes from that baseline that you established earlier. Does does something start maybe getting a little cranky, or do you feel completely at ease? Does the tension leave your shoulders? If you can just focus on whether you got more tense or less tense, usually that's a good starting place. But I find that, you know, whatever it is that I'm feeling, if I'm able to accept it and stay with it and maybe ask it what it wants to say, that that's where the information uh, really starts to, to flow. Hmm. So it's it's like a, a kind of like first listening to a, an actual physical reaction. And then from there, for that signifying something, you take it to another step, which is kind of ask what it wants of you. And then do you hear something kind of in your mind, like a message comes up? Or is it another bodily reaction? I mean, I never hear or see things the same way that I hear or see physical reality. I know people who do have that gift. That's just not my, every, everybody has different gifts. And so the more you do this type of a practice, the easier it will be to start to figure out like, oh, this is what it's usually like for me. Right. 
for me, the way that I explain it to people is it's almost as though when I, I, I can hear through things or see through things. So like if I'm looking into a glass of water, for example, or, or, or better yet, like, um, if I'm looking into a river or a pond or something like that, where it's, it's uh, kind of deeper, darker water, if I stare at it and just kind of relax and then tell myself, what do you see beneath the surface of the water and trust that there's something there because, Hey, it could be a fish, you know, there there could definitely be something there. That's when my mind just kind of starts to get very relaxed and I can start to see things in the water, Hmm. but I don't see things just hanging out in my living room uh, with me right now, but everybody is different. And I think the, the example that I gave of, staying with the physical sensation and, you know, accepting physical sensations in the body and just kind of giving them room to speak. I personally believe that anybody can do that, regardless of what types of other gifts they may have, because this is just what our bodies are wired to do. This is how they work. And we're constantly doing it all the time. It's just that we don't necessarily, we're not necessarily aware of it or we write it off Mm -hmm. as our mood or emotion or things that, things that we don't necessarily think of as being spiritual or connected to the ancestors. Right. Yeah. So really it's about doing the work so that you can figure out what it is for you. What, what the mess, how the messages come to you. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And there's some things that basically anyone can do. And then there's other things that may be unique to you. And you'll only be able to find that out by trying. Yeah. So for instance, I, I get chills when I know something is true. So for instance, we were just talking before about when I, I mentioned having the prayer cards in my son's room and we started talking more about that and I got chills throughout my body. And I, that was me knowing that A, I'm on the right track. You know, what I'm doing is it going in the right direction and B, that they know they being the dead and uh, C, that they're, they're with me in that moment. That's beautiful. Thank, thank you for sharing that. Oh, of course. Yeah. So just uh, share it so that people can kind of get an example maybe of, of what it looks like, right? And what it feels like. And, you know, I don't know where I came up with that, I think I just, like we're talking about, I had enough instances where I felt that in the moment. And I just, and it feels like when you get chills, it feels like a, like a, almost like a comforting revelation. It's the best way I can describe it. That you know, something is as you just said it is, or thought it is. So yeah, just, that's a great example. Yeah. Like being able to and to connect it to things that you felt before too. Cause like chance like I say, you know, most of us are doing this all the time. It's just that we're not paying attention to exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. So when you if you have greater awareness, you know, when you make space to just do a body scan a couple of times a day, or if you have a particular question and you do the body scan then, that's really what what makes it possible to start paying attention and to realize like, oh yeah, I get chills all the time actually. And usually it happens when, you know, somebody has just said something that really resonated. Right. Cause I was, I was going to say, how many times do you hear somebody go, oh, I just got chills, but then they go, you know, back to their hamburger and they, (laughs) they just kind of write it off as, as nothing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was really about listening. So we again have, 
not surprisingly, been been speaking for an hour, so we're, we're coming towards the end of our time here. But before we we do wrap up, I just you you talk about mediumship in your book, and I just was hoping you could just touch on that a little bit. Uh, yeah, sure. And mediumship to me is really, you know, it's it's all of the stuff that we've just talked about. Okay. And I do know, I know people who are like professional mediums who they are the type who can see something crystal clear as though it's happening right in front of them in the moment or the types of mediums who um, in, in Spanish we would say are able to give evidencias. So like, you know, verifiable factual information about like the names and dates of, of people's ancestors when they show up. And so that's mm. all very well and good. And what probably most people think of when they think of mediumship, but it's not what most of us need to be able to do in order to navigate our lives, our, our experience as spirits incarnate. So for me, mediumship is really about figuring out what your own unique gifts are and being able to leverage those when you really need them. And, you know, and you gave this great example of you get chills when, when you hear something that is, that is true. And that really helps you to reaffirm when you're on the right track. Mm. So that to me is mediumship. I see. And so it can be something that's really, really low key, but you know, we all, we're all constantly having these, these interactions, sometimes when we're awake, often when we're asleep. So it really is more just a matter of learning to pay attention to them, learning to note them and also to take them seriously. Like what will you do differently? Because you had that moment where it was validated to you that having those prayer cards in, in your son's nursery is a good thing. Like what, what will you do differently because mm. of that? Right, right. Where do you take it from there? Yeah. Uh, having received that assurance. Yeah. So it's almost like a, like a, another word for intuition. Yeah, I think intuition is related. Empathy is really, although empathy is usually with living people, not, you know, not, mm. not the deceased. Mediumship to me implies that it is intuition that is connected to ancestors and to their unique kind of awareness and, and wisdom and guidance that's being shared with you. But there's all of these different types of spiritual gifts and sources of information that we're all exercising all the time. Terrific. So in addition, Mallory, to your your new book, Honoring Your Ancestors, you've also recently started a podcast yourself called Good Bones. And I, I, have, a, I have a feeling that listeners who, who have listened this far to this episode are definitely going to want to listen to Good Bones. Do you want to just talk about it a little bit and just give a kind of uh, description of what it's about and what, what listeners can expect? Yeah, I, I think it is actually very similar to everything that we've just been talking about. Good Bones is ultimately a podcast about what it means to become a good ancestor. And mm. so myself and my best friend, Vanessa Arena, in each episode, we unpack our own healing journey and spiritual, spiritual practice. And we always wanted it to be the type of podcast, which is very, very practical. So there's not a lot of fancy terminology or, you know, there's not a lot of like super woo stuff that you need to be really, really deep into woo in order to understand. Nice. We're also modern mystics. We're into mysticism for everyone. And so I think for folks who are fans of Bella Figura, it's an, another show that's definitely worth checking out because we talk about what this stuff really looks like in practice without any of the glamour or fake stuff, really. Yes, I, I exactly. And I mean, that's why you and I have 
such great conversations is every time I speak to you, it's always, you're always very kind of like level headed, straight talking, you know, I mean, you're, you're just a regular person talking about this stuff. It's not, I don't feel like I have to go like visit Mars to, <laughs> to reach you. You know, it just feels like I'm talking to someone, you know, like, like a friend, just a, just a regular person who's just t- done a lot of work to be, to live a very, you know, soulful and connected life. Exactly. Yep. That, that's it at the end of the day. Like this is our, this is our real lives. This is how we really live. And it's not, it's not too radically different from the way that anybody else is living, but you know, we're drawing on that experience in every episode. So there's, there's so much more we could talk about. We didn't really get too far into alters, etc. but I'm just going to of course, encourage listeners to pick up a copy of Honoring Your Ancestors, A Guide to Ancestral Veneration, Listen to Good Bones, etc. And I will link to all of that in the show notes. Because you are crazy like me, are any new projects on the horizon? Because what you're doing now is not enough. (laughs) Yeah, actually, guilty. Tell us about uh, it. Uh, yeah, so I was actually invited this year to participate in an artistic exhibition that is happening this summer at the National Arts Club in Gramercy Park, which is in New York City. Yeah. And so I am really, really excited to be a part of this. The exhibition is a combination of visual artists and people like me who are more on the like on the practitioner side. And it's called Everyday Magic Artistic Gnostic Impulses. Mm. And it will be showing at the National Arts Club from June 1st until the 26th of 2020. So I am really honored to be a part of this particular exhibition. And I'm preparing an interactive installation for people who want to kind of, I'm thinking of it as almost being like a gym for working the muscle of ancestor veneration. I love that. You can come in, you can experience what it's like to, to do this in practice. And then hopefully once you've developed that muscle a little bit, you can take that wisdom home and you can keep up with that practice in your own life. That sounds terrific. And definitely, uh, we'll check that out myself and, and hope that a lot of the listeners do as well. That's exciting. That sounds like a really cool project. Yeah, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. I think everybody's somewhere on that spectrum from visual artist to practitioner. And I'm the only one who's like on the far end into practitionerville and not a visual <laughs> artist by right. training. So, right. um, to be included is an honor. Yes, of course. Well, Mallory, it's, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I, I always feel like I just, I learned something new and I kind of fine tune what I, what I already know. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Likewise. And thank you. Okay, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for spending this hour with Mallory and I. If you like the show, please consider subscribing to it. And you can do that just by clicking the subscribe button on your phone or wherever you are listening to this show. Please share with your friends on social and just in life because the more people who listen, the more vibrant the conversation between all of us will be. You can find me on Instagram at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto. That's linked in my show notes. And if you want to learn more about the show in general and me in general, you can visit 
bellafigurapodcast.com. You can also DM me on Instagram or email me at Dolores at bellafigurapodcast.com. And please do reach out to me because I love hearing your thoughts. I love hearing your feedback and I'm totally open to any suggestions you have for guests or story ideas, you know, topic ideas. So don't be shy. Here's to knowing your roots and cultivating a beautiful life from their power. Until next time.